Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today we'll be continuing our series, Transforming. We hope you enjoy. Hey, if we haven't met, my name's Nick. Great to see you. I'm one of the regulars here at North Coast Calvary. My wife and family, we love being part of this Jesus community. And Mark's been taking us on this extraordinary series through uh, being transformed or transformation. What it looks like for us to be people who are seeking after Jesus, who by the power of the Spirit are transformed. And what's our role in that? And today is a kind of an addendum onto the the back of that. We're going to be talking about our role to be transforming the world. We're not to be a a cul-de-sac of transformation. It's not to stop with us. We're transformed in order that we can transform the world around us. I'm going to see, I believe, through the pages of, of Scripture... Um, in fact, I, I put it at the top of the notes. I'm fairly sure. There's a, a comment. You've probably seen it on coffee cups before. It says, be the change that you want to see in the world. It's often misattributed to Gandhi. As it happens, it was a, a Brooklyn school teacher in the 1970s. Good on your school teachers. We love you. You, get a, you don't get all the credit you should. Um, but incarnate or be the change that you want to see. The world is broken, if you haven't noticed. The world is not as it should be. So how can, how can we be the hands, of feet, hands and feet of Christ? So why don't you grab your Bible? Why don't you flick it open? Going to be in the book of Hebrews. Um, so that's in the New Testament if you're new to the whole church thing. And I like all the stuff written after Jesus, just after the T's, Thessalonians and Timothy. If you hit James, do a U-turn, turn back. And um, as you turn to it, this, it's, it's a remarkable book with a degree of mystery around it. We don't actually know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Pretty sure it wasn't Paul because of the style, the apostle, you know. Some people think Barnabas, I don't reckon. Maybe it was Priscilla. Maybe it was Junior. Who knows, right? (laughs) Um, I, I think it was most probably a guy called Apollos who was mentored by Priscilla and Aquila. But what's really important is this. It was written to a church whose world had just been turned upside down. A group, of, a, a group of Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians now who followed Jesus, who came to know that this guy, Yeshua ben Nazareth, Jesus from Nazareth, that actually he was the promised Messiah. He was the Lord of all. And he died and was resurrected. And that just changes everything. And this was written off of a sermon most probably spoken to them that some scribe, I don't know how, with dipping the pen in the ink or something, wrote it down. And now we've got it. And it's this amazing thing where it starts with Christ and then through the, the thinking of it, moves towards us. Um, and this part is right where it gets really practical, where we're going to pick it up. So in the book of Hebrews, big 12, little one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Lord, as we come before your word today, um, We do so hungry, Lord. The world isn't as it should be, but we know that um, 
you want to course through our veins. You want to make us useful and profitable for your purposes. And our hearts are for that. And Lord, I have nothing of value to bring today. So just wipe me off of the stage. Lord, we, we want to hear from you. We long to know your thoughts. We long to know what you would have us do. So be here by the power of your spirit. Be working in our midst. We love you. We praise you and thank you in your name. Amen. Around about the time that I started getting more serious about Jesus, I was in second year university. This buddy of mine, um, he invited me to go along to these camps. Um, I was in a place of kind of existential doubt. And, uh, you know, the best way out of that is to serve your way out of existential doubt. That's another sermon for another time. But he, he said, dude, come, we're going to take these kids from a tough part of the city. We're going to take them out to the wilderness. These camps are called kick butt camps, not because of what you're thinking, um, but because no cigarettes, no alcohol, no drugs, which made it super fun towards the end of the week when they're all going through withdrawals, you know. And... Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, things that would normally be hilarious, like, you know, putting a rock in someone's rucksack that they'd find 10 miles later, um, actually ended in fistfights. But, you know, we were there and, and we got dropped off in the middle of the night, or maybe 10.30 at night, because it was quite a drive from the city. And it was raining, heavy. And we were walking along. The kids were given a, like a waterproof map. And on there, it was charted out, the journey that they had to take. And at the end of that night's journey was a tarpaulin and some hot soup. But we weren't allowed to tell them where they had to go. These guys had to work out where they were and then where they had to get to according to the topography and a few crossroads and that sort of thing in, in the bush, in the, in the forest. And I remember walking along and I knew we were going diametrically in the wrong direction. Like one and a half, two miles thinking, well, that's just double because you've got to then get back to where you should have been to get to where you're you know, going to go. But it's germane to what we're going to look at today because we don't get to see everything. We don't get to know everything. We need to work it out. Uh, and, and God trusts us enough that he wants to partner with us and wants us to work it out with fear and trembling, the right sense of, of fear. You know, I often think um, that uh, in, in um, Psalm 119, it says that God's word is a light for our path and a lamp for our feet. But, and it's a great promise. But think about that. It's only a couple of footfalls in front of you. We don't know everything, but we know enough. When we come to this passage, we see it begins with therefore. And so I've said this before. When you're reading scripture and you see a therefore, you've got to ask what the therefore is there for. And it's there, it's like an arrow, like a street sign with an arrow pointing up. This, so this. What is that? Well, you math geniuses out there will know that it's Hebrews 11 comes before Hebrews 12, right? <laughs> and so that's what they call the hall of faith. These amazing folks who came before. There's Samson, there's David, there's uh, Abraham, there's Moses, there's Sarah, there's Rahab, these extraordinary people. And they were flawed. Every single one of them was flawed. That's good news for me. You perfect ones out there, you know, it's not good news for you. But for me, really good news. Because God used them. They walked in obedience. They didn't see everything. They saw a little bit. They knew what they had to do to be obedient. And they walked in obedience to that and they're commended for that. Those guys and others who came after, those who were sawn in half, those who at the time, you know, fed to lions, all of this stuff's going on. And these guys who first heard this sermon, 
All this stuff's going on. These, these are the commended ones? Okay, so, so what comes next? Given we're surrounded by these guys, this great cloud of witnesses. Can I have that photo up on screen of the, uh, oh, here we go. World Cup, right, 2018. This is the Argentinian fans. They didn't do so well in this World Cup. They're normally very strong. Um, but their fans were just bananas. Translation, bananas, all right? They were just like, ah, ah, you know, just going crazy. And, and they were just these most energetic, encouraging fans. I don't know if you noticed that. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, and we read that, and the imagery there is of an arena filled with folks who are shouting for you. Come on, you can do it. Maybe you're running, maybe you're sliding for a tackle, whatever image you want to use. But, but these guys are there and they're barracking for you. They're rooting for you. They're calling you out. These are the ones who have run the race before and now they're passing the baton to us. They played the previous game and now you're the one. We're the ones who are out there on the field. And you know, there's some theologians who say, well, tut tut, it's not really that they're there watching us. And, and I understand where they're coming from because they, you know, in some denominations and things, they pray to saints who've gone before and I'm not suggesting we do that. There's no intermediary now between us and, and God, right? So I understand where they're coming from. Um, the, you know, I've heard one guy, he said, it's not so much uh, uh, them seeing us that matters as, um, as us seeing them and seeing their example. Oh, I get it. Yet the language here is strongly reminiscent of an arena, a crowd that would have been known at that time because of the because of the games, you know, what we now call the Olympic Games. They they understood this this sort of stuff. And we know for certain that God is always watching us in our highs and our lows, the best parts and the worst parts, always loving us, his eyes are on us. And the heavenly host, the Bible's pretty clear, is there in some fashion watching us. So even in those moments where you feel all alone, you feel no one's watching, you feel no one could know your pain, no one could know your anguish, you need to know that's not true. That's not true. They're right there with you. There's a sense where they're looking over you, they're weeping with you. And when things are good, they're rejoicing with you. You know, think about it. It makes us feel less alone, I think. Okay, so this is all going on. This great cloud of witnesses there is looking after us. And so, so what does it say next? Well, okay. We're to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You notice there's an and in there. I'm going to deal with those two things. In fact, just for fun, let's, let's flip the order. The sin that easily entangles. Well, we know what that is, you know. I mean, that's genocide and, and that's, you know, killing people and that's, you know, cutting someone off on the five and that's, uh, you know, uh, lying in my IRS form. You know, clear stuff. That's, you know, that's pretty, pretty obvious. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, we know that. But here's the thing. If you've been dragged here today by some well-meaning Christian and you're just here to appease them, you need to know that... Sin is way bigger than we ever could have imagined. The problem that we have with sin, the term that's used there is for an archery target. And, like you, sh- and you shoot, and anything that doesn't reach the dead centre, that's what it is. God is perfect. Okay? And this may sound weird coming from a pastor, but if you want to be made right with God, there's two ways you can do it. Two ways. One, you can be perfect. 
that's too late for me because way back in the day I did this sin. It was, you know, small, but there we go. <laughs> tick, 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 one more tick, you know. <laughs> um, or you can be made right through Christ. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But sin that easily entangles. What kinds of sin, you know? There's, there's all the stuff that you can think about. But a guy who uh, I heard once, he said, uh, he said, you're going to choose your poison. It's going to be pride, laziness or fear. And Nick, what is your poison? And my question today, what is your poison? Honestly, I make a bit of a pina colada of those <laughs> and shove a little, one of those little umbrellas in the top. I make a, you know, a daiquiri of poison. But there'll be ones that, that really, that you know. They're the ones that you go to to drink. For me, for sure, it's pride. And, uh, well, it used to be before some mates brought it up to me, and now I'm extremely humble. Um, and um, I've actually got my book at the back on my humility. I'll uh, happy to sign a copy for you. <laughs> but, like, you've got you to just be aware, right? And how can we know that? We can know that by the Holy Spirit. We can know that through the words of Scripture. We can know that through mates around us, because how does the Spirit speak? The Spirit often speaks in stereo. Very rarely does a spirit speak in mono, just to us, I mean. It's affirmed and confirmed by others around us who will hit us up and make us aware of where we fall short. The laziness one. My dad um, used to kind of torment us as kids. It's great, I do it now. It's kind of pay it forward, you know. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the Proverbs, it talks about the sluggard. Go to the ant, sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. You know, you, just, you see the kids looking at you, wow, you know. Or um, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Like the guy playing Nintendo, hand in the popcorn. I'm just, I just it's so far. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But what about fear? You don't think of that one. And here's the truth. Like, Fear is an emotion that rises up in us. It's not so much fear as what it often leads to. I've heard fear being called faith in the devil. All right? Think about what it does. The insecurities in us that lead us to act in certain ways, to big note ourselves when really we didn't need to because we feared that we would be somehow diminished. To somehow put ourselves forward when really that, that's not what we're called to do. To, to come in without a servant-hearted attitude or there's lots of stuff. And you guys, I think right now, we we're, we're all need to think through that stuff or do inventory through that stuff. But watch out because it'll easily entangle you. Growing up on a ranch, I was driving across the fields one day and, um, and there was a bit of wire from an old fence line sticking out, of the, um, sticking out of the ground and I was riding across the field on a motorbike and it got, it got entangled in the rear wheel. Luckily not the front one or I would have catapulted but it, it was such a hassle. I had to walk miles and miles back to the sheds, get a pickup, come out, pick up the bike. It took me half a day to sort that thing out. The sin that easily entangles, you better believe it. That thereafter, when I was riding across the fields, man, I was vigilant. I was looking out. What's, what's going to entangle me here? Be aware of it. Don't, don't, be, don't be silly. Don't be unwise. We're not unaware of the devil's schemes. We know the poison. That's a simple one. Okay, so sin that easily entangles, there's an and. The things that hinder. What are the things that hinder you? from being useful, from being purposeful, from living the transformed life that God has asked you to do so that you can transform the world. What, what are those things? Because they, they may not be bad things. 
The reality is they may even be good things, things that just diminish your effectiveness, that take away from your focus. And man, we don't need to point out that too deeply in our culture because there's a thing, I call it the tyranny of busyness. Right, Years ago, if you ask someone how they were a generation ago, how are you? They'd say, I'm well, I'm happy, thanks for asking. Now, you say, how are you? What's the most common response? I'm busy. Like somehow it denotes that I'm, you know, it must be important and that good things are going on and whatever. It's, no, it's a tyranny. We're like a magnet going across iron filings. And we look up and we think, it's a fuzzy magnet. And we've got to scrape it off. You've got to in, intentionally do it. Left unattended, things don't drift towards focus and simplicity. They drift towards complexity. And all this stuff going on in our lives uh, that take us away from what we should be doing. These things, these will hold us back. These are things that will diminish our effectiveness. Okay, so we've got the guys who came before and they're cheering us on. And we're throwing off these things, the things that hinder us or encumbrances, some, uh, you know, um, uh, I think it's the NASB talks about an encumbrance and as a recovering lawyer. Um, so an, if, you buy a, um, if you buy a property, right, and you get, the, you get the deed to that bit of land, I assume it's the same in America. This is the English speaking, uh, you know, <laughs> excuse me. This is the uh, <laughs> English common law, so uh, they speak English as well. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, so you can have an encumbrance on a bit of land where you buy the land, but someone has a right of way over the land or there's a restrictive covenant, you can't build to a certain area or there's a leasehold value on the land, right, or a, a right over the land. You can still buy the land, but it just diminishes the value of the land, right? So that can be a helpful image for some of us too. But as we're throwing off these things that hinder and the sin that easily entangles, we're called to do what? To run with perseverance, the race marked out for that guy over there, because he's pretty cool. I want to run that guy's race. I don't want to run my race. I want his, oh, what about that girl over there? She's awesome. Yeah, if I could just run her race, things would be hunky-dory. No more troubles. Can I have that image up on screen of... Um, okay, so quiz... I'm going to buy someone a coffee if you can tell me who this is or even what it is, okay? In a crowd this big, surely Kamali, okay? Who can tell me what it is? I've got a hand over there. Yes, sir. Thank you. I'm going to get you a coffee. Yeah, I'm going to buy him a coffee. He got it right. Yeah, yeah. The winner at the Rio Olympics in the 400 metres... Wade van Nierkirk was his name, a South African. That night, most of us were watching. It was Hussein Bolt's last you know, um, race, and so that was a big thing for us. But this guy quietly came in, won the 400 metres in a world record time. No one expected him to do that, actually. He was in lane eight. And as you can, as you know, you can tell us, like, that's not a good lane to be in when you're a 400 metre runner, because they stagger the way you start. Literally, for the entirety of his race... Wade van Niekerk didn't see any other runners till after he'd crossed the line. Okay? He, he just got into the final. He was a guy that no one really, I thought, you know, no one seemed to think would win. His, his coach is a 75-year-old Namibian great-grandmother. I mean, this guy <laughs> just got, he used to play rugby, of course, the, you know, which were playing heaven, but now he's doing running just to, just to mark time until he gets there. 
But here he is and he, and he runs and he wins, the, he wins the gold medal. He beats the world record. It's crazy. And after he won, he actually tweeted. This is a cool little side note. After he won, he said, you know, Jesus did this. God is the power. He actually loves the Lord, you know. But he's the only person in history who's run the 100 metres in less than 10 seconds, the 200 metres in less than 20 seconds, the 300 metres in less than 31 seconds, and the 400 metres in less than 44 seconds. All of those are kind of benchmark things. He's an extraordinary kind of guy. But here's, here's the deal. When he was running, he did not put one toe out of his lane. And he did not look to the right nor to the left. And why should he? There was no one else there. But the reality is for us, we frequently do that. If only I had what that guy's got. I could have paid off my mortgage. If I, if I didn't have 2.3 kids, but I had 3.2 kids like that guy, <laughs> things would be way better. If I had this, I have had... And we look to the left and no, 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 no. Run with perseverance the race marked out for you. I had some uh, awful news this week. Um, there's a, one of our mates from here at church, the guys at the Sunday night service know him really well, Gian Mater, passed away on Friday. Young man, 23 years old, had leukaemia, battled it. He's got a, a blog, and the blog is actually, believe it or not, called The Race Marked Out For Me. I'm going to read you a little bit from his blog. Sorry, racesetbeforeme.com. If you want to have your heart torn out of your chest, go and read this. But this young guy now, he's with the Lord. In fact, he's with, you know that first photo of the guys barracking us on? He's there. Had this awful battle with uh, leukaemia. This is his last blog post. Just think about this. The guy's, you know, I'm twice his age and he's got 15 times the maturity. This trial has been both my teacher and taskmaster all in one. On the one hand, I can see how my life is being shaped in a positive way because of it. On the other, I can feel the oppression and pain which opens my eyes to the brokenness of this world and the reality that we live in. But it's a paradox. Every time I go deeper into what seems to be a darker situation, I come out with more of an understanding of who I am along with a greater revelation of who God is. So has the reward been worth such a seemingly high cost? If there is more suffering in the future, will the reward outweigh the cost? For me, absolutely. There is no greater reward than gaining an understanding and deeper knowledge of my Creator. Oh my goodness. Racesetbeforeme.com. I know some of you guys will want to look that up. But we're to run the race that's set before us, notwithstanding the trials, notwithstanding the suffering, notwithstanding any of that. God has perfectly positioned you to run the race. Don't feel regret. Don't feel that he's neglected you. Don't feel jealous. Here's an idea. Don't even look. Don't even look with that kind of envy to the right and to the left. Sorry, I was a bit uh, moved. I was actually out the back earlier weeping about it. Keep, keep Gian and, and his family in your prayers, hey? Tough week. Tough week for them. And how can we do all that? How can we do that? How can we think through the, the stuff that hinders us, the sin that easily entangles? How can we run with perseverance? The answer is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Can I have the photo up on screen of the many, you know, Jesuses? 
There's a smart aleck in the Middle Ages called Voltaire who said, in the beginning, God created us in his image and ever since we've been trying to repay him the favour. Here's a reality. 7.7 billion people on planet Earth and if you leave aside the 30% who've never even heard of his name, and by the way, your church is working on that, you guys are working on that, changing that. But if, even if you just take the... If you, if you ask those five or so billion people who Jesus is... That'd give you a different answer. Because what we do is we project onto Jesus who we are. So for instance, you know, we have the very white Jesus. We have the white Jesus counting once. We have the white Jesus counting twice. We have the German Jesus. We have the slightly stoned Jesus. We have the, uh, you know, the abstract Jesus, the postmodern Jesus, the new age Jesus, the graffiti Jesus, the very, very freaky Jesus who I don't even want to know about that. We've got the Latino Jesus. We've got the, the one with, with almond-shaped eyes who that's, I think, freaky enough for me. You know, we've got the Russian Jesus. We've got the, um, the scariest one for me. By the way, this is a rabbit hole. If you ever want to go down a rabbit hole where there is, yea, verily, no end, just Google image like images of Jesus, you know. This is the, the baby Jesus from Prague, who, I'm not kidding, actually has blue eyes. Okay? And then, and then we've got Jesus the shepherd. Is Jesus the shepherd? Is he a child? The answer could be yes. Like, here he is, you know. There's all these. And the truth is, it was not, none of those. Historically, I mean. Maybe the closest would be the, the Arabic Jesus there. I mean, minus the manga-style eyes. But, but that's probably the, you know, without the hair, perhaps. But who, who knows? But here's the trouble. We don't just do it uh, in, in how we envisage Jesus. We do it with the values that we put onto him because we want to project ourselves onto him. So then it becomes a loop where it, it, it's okay. We feel okay about ourselves if we're trying to become more like him, but he's really a projection of us. Then it's like a, a self-creating loop. How can we know about him? How can we know about who he truly was? Well, like I said, if you're here and you don't know Jesus yet, I've got some good news for you. There's this thing called the Bible, and in there there's these biographies about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'd commend them to you, even if you've known Jesus or followed Jesus for a long time, to go back to those. What was he like? What would he do here? I wonder what he thinks about this. Go back and look through it. It's truly mind-blowing. I spent 35 years thinking about it, and every time I read it, I'm challenged about who the real Jesus is. And the mates who lived with him here and whilst he was walking upon the earth, the guys closest to him said, actually, there was no sin in him. There was no deceit found in his mouth. Peter, one of his closest mates, said he, he was the real deal. He never faked it. He was not phony. He was not inauthentic. He didn't have a front. He didn't have an agenda that wasn't, you know, he was the real deal. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's not look at the fake Jesus. Really allow your Jesus to be refined by the pages of Scripture. Allow your Jesus to be refined by friends who say, you know, I think you've got it slightly wrong there. Allow your Jesus to be refined by the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise you'll have that self-creating loop. Because, of course, he's the one who's a pioneer and perfecter of faith, the author and the finisher of faith. He's the one who, before time began, created it all. 
And he's the one who went to the cross. He went to the cross for my sin. And he went to the cross for your sin. And it says here, for the joy set before him, he endured it. He was able to endure it because he had the long game in mind. Now make no mistake, the cross was a most heinously invented thing. The agony of dying there when you can't even breathe, you can't even lift yourself up. And so often the guys would actually choke to death lacerated, beaten, all of that. I mean, just to, of all the things we wish we could uninvent, there's a, there's a big list actually because humans were pretty awful. But that's got a number in there. I mean, so awful. But way, way more awful than that was the fact that he took our sin. It's a misconception in Christianity we think Jesus took the punishment for our sin. That's not true. He took the very sin itself. He took our sin upon his shoulders my sin he took your sin he finished with it once and for all so that we can now be made right with God he said he for the joy set before him he endured the cross and he scorned its shame he scorned the shame of the cross as we look at it now we think well the cross is a symbol of you know church or if you're not a Christian you think I don't know maybe cemeteries or something but but in this day those who were hearing this sermon for the first time they knew what it was it was, a, it was a sign of derision, a sign of being a social outcast. It was the most shameful thing. It was shame upon you. It was shame upon your family. It was a shame upon the life you'd lived. It was a shame upon your tribe, upon your people. Total shame. Jesus shames shame on the cross. Jesus condemns condemnation on the cross. Jesus kills death on the cross when he rose again. I was catching up with a buddy this week and, um, and he's, a, he's a dear friend to me and he's been struggling through an awful time of depression and it's been a, a tough time and, and we're talking about this passage and a few other things besides. We're talking about shame and he's battling that too and he says, you know, shame is a feeling like you can never be free. Feeling like you can never be free and he had an image given to him. In fact, is there a photo of like a, there we go, and I, and I showed this to him, he said, that's, that's kind of what it feels like. Like you're being sucked back down into an abyss and you can't get out of it. In a crowd with, of this size, there's folks who are carrying shame and Jesus wants you to know he wants to finish that. For your own good, for your own well-being. And also for the fact that you can be, once you're healed and in the process of healing, none of us are ever fully healed, but in that process of healing... Okay, we can be made more useful. We have a prayer team who'll be down here at the end and there's an opportunity for you if you're suffering under that shame and condemnation of things that you've done, things that have been done to you. You need to know that you can be free. I absolutely believe it. And sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it happens through loving communities. We come around and care for each other. But don't leave it. Don't, don't live with that feeling of being bound up it's not how God has asked us to live. But he endured the cross, he scorned his shame, and he, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God because he is the Lord Most High. 
He's the one that went through that. And Jesus is the Lord Most High. And, and as it ends, and I'm going to ask our, um, our guys to come back out here, our, our band, and we're going to, soon we're going to come to a, a close. Um, that we're to consider him. He endured such opposition from sinners. From sinners. We're to consider him. Why? So that we won't grow weary and we won't lose heart. That we won't lose heart. There's a word that we have for that. The word is encouragement. In the medieval French, it's encourage, right? Quite literally, to build up someone else's heart. That we are called to be those that build up the hearts of others, that allow them to build up our hearts so they can be full of courage, so that we can go out and we can change the world. Friends, I want to ask us to stand up, or I'd invite you, I guess, to stand up with me. You don't have to, you can do your own thing, but I invite you to stand. And we're going to, we're going to do a couple of things at once here. My wife tells me that women can do 12 things at once and men can do... I forget what it is, but it's substantially less than that, right, <laughs> that we can do. But I trust that we can do a few things. And so, actually, the first thing we're going to do before I forget, I know that some of you will want to go out and encourage the guys at the table to find out about kids' lives so you can radically affect. So some of you will want to do that. Some of you will want to give, and that's what we're going to have the offering happening as we're, as we're singing here. That's a couple of the things. But the, the other thing that I want us to be doing is to be waiting on the Lord. Some of us will like to come down for prayer, like I said, many things at once. But what I had a sense of, this is your mission, let me say this. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. Okay, today, before your head hits the pillow, I want you to wait upon the Lord right now to ask Him for the names, for the faces, for people whose hearts you need to build up. Like I said, some of you will be after before you even leave the campus. Some of you will be out in the courtyard. Some of you will be a name, someone who's far away. You need to ring them. Some of them might be your spouses, your children, but whatever. But, but you need to be the one who on the basis of Christ and what he's done for you and the power of his love in you through the Holy Spirit, you need to be someone who builds up someone else's heart. And you can put your hands out or up or just stand there and, and just wait. But I believe that if you have a heart open for that, that God is going to impress upon you a couple of folks that you need to do that with. So we're going to worship here. We're going to do all those things at once. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.